I'm Lucas. And I'm Julia. We are the European Union Youth Delegates at the United Nations. If you want to know more about what's going on in the world from a UN and EU perspective, listen to thought-provoking talks in our podcast, Who Rules the World? Another wave of unlawful arrests of people connected to Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya and their families took place in the end of November. Among the unlawfully arrested people was Margot's mother. She was sentenced to 15 days in prison. Welcome to this episode of Who Rules the World podcast. In this episode, our guest is the president of Free Belarusian National Youth Council Rada and advisor on youth policy and students to Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya, Marharita Vorikhova. She is a holder of Young Women of Europe 2023 Award. From January 2024, she is a member of the Advisory Council on Youth of Council of Europe. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming. Even though your country is geographically close to the EU, it often happens that people don't know much about what is going on in Belarus. We know about Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya, the opposition leader. We know that uh, it is the last dictatorship in Europe. How was it like growing up in Belarus and when did you realize that there is a dictatorship? Actually, um, to honestly describe the situation, I was growing in a very small city, uh, it's called Polotsk, it's very close to the Russian border. So my perception of the world was very much influenced by the colonial, um, let's say, influence of Russia uh, because they were establishing a lot of educational centers, they were establishing a lot of youth centers as well, offering educational opportunities to study in the Russian universities after school without exams. So they were creating all of these possibilities and opportunities for young people to actually move to Russia and they were promoting their culture in, in my hometown and oppressing the Belarusian culture. So from my perspective, um, it was very much influenced by the Russian presence in my region. And um, actually at one point, I was thinking that Belarus should be a part of Russia, which I'm not proud of, but um, just to describe the, like, fully the picture that we, the young people in Belarus are growing in. Um, and I was not realizing the extent uh, of the repressions that were going on in Belarus for all of these years of the Lukashenko's ruling before I actually went out of the country, went out of the context, and went out of this bubble that was fully influenced by Russia. Um, so my perception changed uh, drastically when I first uh, got involved in the activism field, which was an exchange program with the United States for young leaders. And we traveled to the US We've had a tour around different youth organizations with how the civic society sector is structured in the US um, and how young people are actually influencing the development of their country, the development of their communities. And that was the starting point of my activism as well. So then I started to ex like kind of expand my bubble and realized how much we are repressed actually how much freedom we are deprived of, how much um, our young people are actually suffering without actually realizing because it's so normalized in our country to suffer, to not enjoy your life, to not have a freedom of speech, not have a freedom of expression. So this normalized oppression is actually deeply enrooted into a lot of young people and to get out of this bubble we need to be exposed to something 
bigger, better, free, like the European culture, like the democratic institutions, to actually realize what they mean. Human Rights Day is on 10th of December, and this year we are marking a 75th anniversary of the Human Rights Declaration. What can you tell us about the human rights violations in Belarus? They have been growing so much after the 2020 um, elections and massive protests. They started with, um, of course, detentions, torture of people in prisons and on the streets, uh, beating, um, like the police officers were using bullets, they were using gas, they were using a lot of violence towards the protesters, but these repressions, they did not stop just on the streets and just during the, the protests. They actually continued massively um, in the civic society sector, in the civic sector in general. Um, and in 2021, there was another massive case of, um, let's say, the repression focusing on the civic society sector, when we've had more than 1,000 organizations liquidated. And then the government continued to pressure the uh, NGOs, especially young NGOs. So now it's illegal, for example, to be a part of the liquidated organization or to act on behalf of the liquidated organization, which are more than 1,000. Um, and you can be repressed, uh, you can be sentenced up to seven years in prison for just acting, for being active. Um, the same would go for so-called extremist or terrorist organizations, a lot of young Organi youth organizations, media organizations, cultural organizations, uh, organizations that are working with people with disabilities have been proclaimed extremists. And in Belarus, if you are, for example, subscribed to a social media channel of an extremist organization, you can be sentenced up to 15 years in prison. And then some of the youth organizations were proclaimed terrorists for collecting data on persecutions that are happening in the country, for, for example, helping people that are in the country, supporting them with the resources that they need, um, for example, financing their the fees, the, the, the fines that were applied to them for, for just defending their own rights. So the repressions are growing in the country and they are not stopping and they are not going to stop in the nearest future. Belarus is involved in the invasion of its neighbor. Uh, what is the sentiment of young people about this? I would probably correct this question in a way that Belarusian regime is involved and we should distinguish between Belarusian regime and Belarusian people. Lukashenko is deeply um, supportive of the Putin regime and he's actually dependent on this regime, so he is supportive of the war. But the people in Belarus are actually not supportive of this. We've had surveys, um, they're not extensive and they're not official, of course, because we cannot rely on the official data that is being provided by the government of Belarus. Uh, but according to our surveys, we've seen a massive amount of around 80% of Belarusian people not supporting the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, and a lot of people are actually supportive of Ukraine and supportive of their freedom, of their independence. And they believe that Ukraine is an independent nation that, ha that should have their right to protect their country. You left Belarus in 2021. Under what circumstances did you leave the country? In 2021, there was a massive liquidation of organizations. 
and the strategy of the regime was to target the leaders of the organizations, meaning the president, the chair people, chair persons of the organizations. And at this point, I was and I still am the president of the Belarusian National Youth Council, which means that I was one of the first targets of the regime. And that basically was the period of time when my colleagues from Brada has have, um, in a way, forced me to leave the country as well. They have uh, been very scared for for my life, for my freedom. So they were the people that were encouraging me to leave the country. So I packed um, like my belongings, like a, one suitcase. I bought the first tickets and I flew out of the country immediately in August uh, 2021 after the liquidations. Thank you. The position of RADA as a National Youth Council is different. As you operate in exile, can you describe what are the main activities of the council? And what problems do you deal with? And what are the limitations of this work in exile? Yeah. One of the differences of our National Youth Council from the rest of the National Youth Councils is that we have one dimension of work um, that is focused mainly on the humanitarian aid to our people and supporting them with the resources that they need, for example, to flee the country, um, to obtain a visa, to provide help to their member organizations inside the country. So there is a little bit of crisis management in a way of finding new solutions, how to um, overcome all the restrictions that are imposed by the regime. And our circumstances are a little bit different in a way that, for example, you cannot just transfer the money to the organizations in Belarus, or you cannot just hold an event in Belarus. You need to come up with new ways to overcome these repressions. So we are working in a way of helping the organizations to deal with the crisis, to strategize and to actually be able to go out of this um, fear-focused thinking, fear-inspired thinking, we can say, um, to a more of a sustainable, long-term thinking, maintaining the resources, sustainability-oriented as well, um, thinking of an organization. But apart from that, we do all the regular work of the National Youth Council, like education, we provide the resources, we uh, provide networking opportunities for the organizations, we advocate for the youth rights um, in different institutions, we advocate for the needs of young people in Belarus, um, and we do, of course, the media, uh, media support of uh, our member organizations and try to cover the situation in Belarus and bring our needs to the international agenda as much as possible. You mentioned uh, fleeing of the country. What are the ways how young people flee Belarus? Um, there are multiple, first of all, means, but there are also multiple, um, let's say, um, circumstances that people are forced to flee the country. So, for example, one of the circumstances might be that you are facing um, a legal persecution. So, let's say you are facing seven years in prison and you already know your sentence, you already know that you're going to be uh, spending these years in prison and you want to flee the country like as soon as possible, but you don't have like, any resources for this. So in this cases, we have an organization which is called Soul. They are helping these people flee the country in a more of a um, unregular manner, let's say. If, for example, they cannot cross the border because they're going to be trapped on the border, they will need to find like new ways. So in this perspective, we need to cooperate with um, the governments of other, other European states to help us move the people from Belarus 
in a way that the government in Belarus wouldn't notice this. So this is the most extreme case, let's say. But there are also milder cases, for example, students that have been expelled from the university, expelled from the universities, they would like, for example, to find a new university. So in this case, we help them to find a place in the European Union or in any other country. We provide them with support uh, mechanisms that they could use to continue their education, to find a job. Um, and another, like a middle ground case, is more of a when you, for example, can enter Russia. Um, and you can go through Russia to any other country, uh, but it's um, a more of a yeah, middle ground case. You mentioned students, and as far as I know, there are tuition fees at Belarusian universities. Uh, there are some places at some programs where you study for free, but you are obliged to work at the place where the state sends you, mostly to another city or some remote places. If you refuse, you will have to refund the study costs. Could you tell more about the system? Yes, absolutely. Uh, according to our constitution, all the education in Belarus is free, described as free. Um, and when you're finishing school, you pass the centralized testing. And according to your results, you can apply to the universities, to any university in the country for a free education. So basically, you would not have to pay any kind of fees. You will receive um, a very small amount of money for uh, your support. Um, but then you will have to be working for um, any organization that the government will send you to. And usually, um, or actually, in the very recent times, people don't even have a choice where they will be sent. Because before 2020, for example, you could have um, this seems to, the system is working better in a way that you could have, for example, had a job and then you could apply to the university council and say, I have this working position, can I uh, work in this position, continue working and this is going to be my payback to the government. But now it's not working because a lot of people have actually fled Belarus. So now we have a very um, huge lack of young professionals or any professional in multiple positions, especially doctors, especially teachers, um, and all the intellectually demanding um, positions uh, and job openings. So in this regard, um, young people are usually being sent, for example, to villages, to very remote places where the working conditions are not um, retaining to any kind of standard. They're being paid a very low paid, um, like, the, the lowest amount possible. Um, in this regard, it's going to be around 200 rubles, which is less than 100 euro per month. And they still will have to like look for their apartment, sustain their life and continue working for, and now they actually passed a new amendment to the law, because before that you had to work for the government for two years, which is not that bad, but now it's five to seven years. And you cannot change the position. If you leave the position, you will have to repay the government the fee that is much higher than the cost, the actual cost of the Belarusian education, which is actually quite low, according to the European standards and comparing to the world level of education. Um, and you have to repay around 10,000 euro, which for Belarusian families is unimaginable. We do not earn that much. The average salary in Belarus is less than 500 euros, so you cannot imagine, you can imagine how hard it is actually for young people to repay this debt to the governments that they wouldn't actually be able to use that much because the education in Belarus is not matching 
even the country standards, so we are not matching the job markets with our level of education. Five years of your life is very hard to imagine to spend some place where you don't want to live. And what anti-youth initiatives does Belarus have and what are the main obstacles young Belarusians face at home and abroad? Um, I would probably start from the youth participation level in Belarus in general because we do have um, a lot of, if you go for example on like official governmental sources like media, you will see a lot of conferences um, that are actually welcoming to young people. They're actually having like youth delegates, they're having like a lot of these big, big events with a lot of young people, but they are there not to share their experience, their opinion, they're there just for the good picture. So it's more of a talkingism attitude to all the young people. And when you actually are given a space to give some kind of commentary, for example, we have this conferences with the president actually, where the young delegates have the potential to speak up and ask a question to the president. But in this regard, you're also limited by the, the space itself, because the space itself forces you to oblige to a certain, um, let's say, direction of thinking. Because, for example, if you ask a wrong question to the president, then of course you're going to be in prison for this. Um, so this kind of level of repression is present on all the levels, starting from schools even when you don't have a space for youth participation at all. We rarely have um, school councils. They're most likely not working. I had a, a school council in my school and the council was not able to do anything within the school. They've had no budget, they've had no inclusion into the decision making on the school level. And when they, for example, were promoting some of the values of uh, democracy, um, they were, of course, oppressed by the school itself. In schools, we also have this um, oppressive participation, which is called, so um, non-voluntary participation in some of the events. And a lot of young people in schools are forced, for example, to participate in pro-governmental meetings. And if you don't participate, then the teacher will face a fine. So the teacher is oppressing the students to participate in the meeting because their salary is on the front line of this. And then this level of the presence of the regime on multiple levels is immaculate. Um, they have infiltrated every area of life, starting from yeah, education, ending up in media, and even family social level, because we now have also, um, when for example you're a young person and you want to do something, the society will most likely have this attitude of you are standing out, why are you doing this? And I've had the same attitude in my school. When I was trying to be active, I was oppressed by the, by the society itself because our thinking is so much influenced by the fear and oppression that we are used to not having any kind of initiative at any level. Thank you. This is a podcast also about the UN. What do you expect the UN to do about the situation in Belarus? I would kindly suggest the UN to start from the structure itself, from the structure of the UN itself and the way it operates and the way it welcomes the regime to be present on the meetings. Um, I understand that they're there because they have a right to be there because the Belarus is one of the co-founding countries of the UN, but the but Belarus that was co-founding co the UN is a different Belarus from what we have now. 
now we have uh, an oppressive government that is violating all the international rules that is uh, repressing its own um, citizens, so I'm not really sure who the regime is representing. They're representing themselves in the structure on an international level, uh, for example, on the conferences that were in uh, New York recently. The regime was present there. The regime was given a place to speak. The regime was given a place to promote their, um, I wouldn't even call this values, their belief in the fact that they have a right to oppress their their citizens, to violate all the agreements, to violate all the laws, and not have any kind of consequences from this structure. This is a very frustrating fact to me to observe, because yes, Tihanovsky was invited there as well, but they were given, if not the same, of course, not the same attitudes, but the same place to be, the same um, place to speak. They were treated almost at the same, um, with, this, with the same attitude, which to my understanding is not really acceptable because if we are promoting democratic values, if we want to say as a UN structure that um, we would like to support people that are facing some kind of troubles in their life, we want to have an, um, an equality around the globe, we want to have an international community that is supportive, that is value-based that is rights-based and then we welcome dictators and give them the space to speak and promote their ideas. To me it's very controversial and I would like to see some movement in the direction of being value-protective, standing on the, uh, the founding values of the, of the UN. Thank you. Uh one more question that's more personal. What kind of changes would you like to see happen in your country for you to return home? First of all, as I'm a young person and as I spent all of my years of life in the dictatorship, I've never been a citizen of a democratic country. For me, the first change that I would like to see is to participate in fair elections in my own country and to actually have a feeling that I trust the voting system, that I can actually go to the voting ballot and um, my vote is going to be counted and I can trust the institution itself. So the feeling of trust in the democratic institutions would be a very fulfilling um, understanding for me to reach. And then, of course, to see more youth participation on different levels. Of course, to see more youth politicians. Of course, to see that all of the structures that we are building now in the democratic forces are being implemented in the country. And that there is a rising, I'm hoping that there's going to be a rising belief um, and regaining support to the democratic institution and democratic values from the society side as well. Because we can imagine that after 30 years of living in the dictatorship, a lot of people have lost any kind of hope and optimism for the future and I would love to see some motivation and light in the eyes of my own people that they have something to aspire to and that they have a country that will support them in their in all of their aspirations. Thank you Margot for this dialogue and thank you to Rada for everything you do for young people and for every Belarusian. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your support. This was an episode of the Who Rules the World podcast. 
For the new episodes, tune in to the Spotify or other platforms.